You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And we'll just be starting with one verse today, verse 42. We are in the middle of a sermon series entitled, What We Believe and What We Are to Be Devoted To. Uh, and for the past two weeks, we've been talking about what we believe, and we base that on a small creedal statement known as the Apostles' Creed. Today, we're going to look at what we as a church should be devoted <clears throat> to. The truth of the matter is, is that belief is foundational for practice. What you believe will translate into how you practice. Uh, What you're committed to, what you truly believe life is about, you will be passionate about. If we truly understand who God is, what he has done for us, then we will live that out in following him. One verse, as I said, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's look to him. Uh, for guidance. Lord, I pray that as we come to your word, we would see it for what it is. It's your very word written down 2,000 years ago for our good to communicate who you are, who we are, and what it is that you require of us. I pray that we would tremble at your word that we would stand in awe of you, that we would listen. I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me today, that you would convict, that we would not leave this place the same people that we were as we came in, but that we would say, what does this mean? And what should my response be? I pray that you would remove every distraction. I know that the enemy is here with us right now, Satan and his demons trying to confuse, trying to distract, trying to convince us that this is not important. And I pray that you would shut him down, that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and that we respond in obedience. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think that we tend to make life more complex than it needs to be. Uh, I also think that this is true of the church as well. Uh, Many churches uh, have more programs than they know what to do with. Uh, They got everything. You look at their calendars and they're absolutely amazing. You can't even keep up with them. When it comes to the Word of God, we look at the early church, and the early church was devoted to four basic things. Four basic things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those are the things that they were devoted to, and I believe that those are the things that we as the church here in 2020 should be devoted to as well. When we're devoted to these things, the results are amazing, and they are God-honoring. Today we're going to go through these things one by one, explaining them so that we as a church know what we are to be devoted to. But before we get into those, I want to look at that word in Acts 2.42, the word devoted. Devoted. The word that is used here in the Greek means to endure uh, or to stay close to someone or something. 
to endure. And I was thinking about this this week, why would we need to endure? And the reason is because of these things that we're going to look at today are contrary to our fallen, sinful nature. They're fallen. They're, they're contrary to who we uh, are, are sinful, that sinful part of us that is in rebellion against God. We are, it's far easier to be devoted to our uh, couches or our beds, right? It's far easier to be devoted to our favorite Netflix series, right? That thing that we binge on. It's far easier to be uh, devoted to maybe the internet or social media or to a, a sports team or an athletic event or a hobby. Those things we want to do. Those things uh, we enjoy doing. Regarding these four things, the temptation in the church is to not engage in them at all or to do them for a little while and then to stop doing them, to disengage from these things. Let me give you a few examples that I've noticed in all the churches that I've ever been in. If we announce that there is going to be a corporate prayer meeting where we're going to gather together, I can, uh, you can almost guarantee in any church that the attendance for that thing is going to be very low. We're going to do what for an hour? That's it? Just pray for an hour? And then you start to question, you know, does prayer really work? Is there something else I could do? There's probably a better way that I can spend my time today than just praying with other people. And very often, prayer, corporate prayer uh, services are not well attended. Think about even uh, Sunday schools or other uh, Bible studies. Uh, when a Sunday school usually starts, uh, there's usually a larger attendance, but then after a couple of weeks, it starts to wane. Uh, the attendance starts to wane, or even Bible studies, people might initially come in, and then their attendance starts to fall off after a little bit. This is true of events and uh, fellowship meals as well, largely attended at first, and then starts to wane. It starts to uh, uh, decline in attendance. These things aren't as exciting as we had hoped they would be. They don't seem to be doing anything for us. The truth is that the church, we live in a me-centered, entertainment-driven, consumer-minded culture. We live in a time when if we don't like the flavor of one church, we can easily just go five minutes in the other direction and find another church. And we can see if that church uh, does for us what we want it to do. And if they don't, then there's a couple others that we can visit. And if those don't work, then maybe we can start to branch out a little bit more. It seems like people are constantly asking questions like, what can you as a church do for me? What can you do for my kids? How can you serve me? How can you change so that it's, it, it's more accommodating for me? How can you change the music or the way that you do things? I think you should do it this way. If you, if you do it this way, then I will continue to come. If you don't, then I'm out of here. And I'm going to tell you, I know that churches struggle with this. Churches struggle to keep people. And then they start to resort to gimmicks. They start to resort to the latest uh, church growth or church strategy book. That will say, how can you grow your church? Every week I get things in email or on Facebook that will say, you know, grow your church by 25% or something like that. These strategies to keep people. Why are people leaving? People seldom ask questions such as, how can I serve? 
How can I serve in the church? Or how can I encourage uh, the person that's next to me that I know is suffering? Or how and where can I give? Who can I give to in the church? Where are the needs in the church? We grow bored, we grow tired, we lose interest. And there might be several reasons for this which go all around. It might be uh, poor leadership. It might be uh, uh, the, the leaders of a church unable to cast the vision for the church. What direction are we going in? And so people are confused. And so it's just like, I don't know where this church is going. I don't know if I want to still be a part of that. Or it might be a hectic work or family life to where you're, if you have kids, you're carting them everywhere to this sporting event or that sporting event or to this lesson or to that lesson or to this club or whatever it may be. Or you're working hours to get that promotion or whatever it is. And it's just like these things that we're going to talk about today just don't take priority in your life. There's other things that are more important. Or when it comes down to it, it may just be plain laziness or lack of enthusiasm about the things of God. They're just not that exciting to me anymore. What happens then is we start to prioritize things in our lives that have little or little to no eternal value. That in a thousand years from now will not matter whatsoever. As a result, we and our children become highly educated and highly skilled in the things of the world, while very uneducated or skilled in the things of God. We're more, it's more important for us to win awards or to secure a promotion than it is to win souls and to secure an eternal reward in heaven one day. And this all comes down to the fact that we are in a spiritual warfare. There is an enemy that is alive and well that seeks to kill steal, and destroy. Satan wants us to get our focus off of the things of this world. He wants us to put our focus on things that really don't matter. I'm not talking bad things, evil things. I'm talking good things, but in the, in the, in the scheme of things, really don't have that much eternal value. We're in a battle and we tend to forget that. And so we are in need today of endurance. We can't just give up. We can't just complain. We can't just stop coming. We must endure. And we must be devoted to those things that matter most. And these things that we're going to look at today are what the early church was devoted to. And the results of following these things, being devoted to these things, were absolutely amazing. If you still have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, I want you to look at the verses immediately following verse 42, where it says that they were devoted to those things. Here is the result. And, <clears throat> and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and the breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Devoted to these things and the results were astounding. The results were joy. Joy in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Joy in the presence of other people. The results were unity. The results were selflessness. 
the attitude was this. Well, if I brought nothing into this world and I'm going to take nothing out of this world and everything that I have in this world right now actually belongs to God and I'm a steward of it, then I guess that everything that I own actually belongs to you as well. Do you have any needs that I can meet? Is there any area where you are suffering financially that I can meet that need? Because this money is not my money. It belongs to God. And so you see that there was no one in the early church that was in need at all. Because they said, you have a need, I will meet that need. We see service to everyone. And finally, we see an expansion of the church. We see people who didn't know Jesus coming to know Jesus, giving their life to Jesus. And the church grew. This is what happens when we are devoted to these things. And the results of these things have eternal ramifications. Eternal rewards. Where one day we will stand before God and he will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come, enter into the joy of your master. Come, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you. Therefore, these are the things that we are to be devoted to above all else. So let's look at them right now. The very first one that he mentions is the apostles' teaching. And we're not going to spend much time here because we just spent two weeks talking about the apostles' teaching. Uh, We looked at that little uh, creedal statement, the Apostles' Creed, which told us uh, what we as a church believe, the fundamentals of what it means to uh, be a Christian, of what, uh, what we're to believe. And what we said, just a couple of notes regarding the Apostles' Creed, is we said that, first of all, it is what is known as Trinitarian, which means that it talks about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in one God who exists in three distinct persons. That separates us from every other religion and cult in the world. This is what we believe. But we also said that this uh, creedal statement, the Apostles' Creed, is also Christological which means that even though it talks about the Father and the Holy Spirit, its main focus is on the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're still in Acts chapter 2, what we see in Acts chapter 2, the beginning part of it, is that the Holy Spirit comes, and then Peter stands up and gives his first sermon. And I want to look at that sermon beginning in verse 22. Because after he gives a couple introductory remarks and says basically this, because the Holy Spirit comes and they're speaking in other tongues, and it's just some people are thinking, wow, this is amazing. They're they're speaking these languages uh, that I can understand. Others are thinking, ah, they're drunk. They're drunk. And Peter says, nope, we're not drunk. You know, it's, it's early morning. We haven't been drinking. Let me explain to you what's going on. He gives a little bit of introductory remarks. And then in verse 22, he says this, men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. It is all about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And then listen, this sounds just like what we talked about in the Apostles' Creed the last two weeks. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It is all about Jesus. What do you need to know? You need to know about Jesus. And this is what we should be devoted to as well. If a church's primary message 
is about your health and your wealth and your prosperity. If a church's message is, is primarily about social issues that are going on in the world, then you need to steer clear of that church. Should churches talk about those issues? Absolutely. Absolutely. They are found in the Bible. But our primary message is the message of Jesus Christ. It's all about him and not about us. It's about what he did for us so that we could be with him. And we lift up and praise him for what he has done. But more than anything, once again, we talk about Jesus. Come in the flesh, living the perfect life that you and I were required to live, but could not and then being punished for every single sin, every single lie, every single lustful thought, every single selfish act that we ever did. He was punished for it. And we were set free. We were pardoned from all of those sins and welcomed into the family of God. The apostles' teachings further include everything else in the New Testament. Okay? Because the New Testament was written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the apostles. And they tell us what we are to believe concerning God, each other, and the world. How we're to relate to God, how we're to relate to each other, and how we are to relate to the rest of the world. In this church, we have several opportunities to hear and to study the apostles' teaching. We have our Sunday morning worship where you are here right now. We spend the majority of our time in the Word of God on a Sunday morning because we need to hear from God. We open up the Word and we say, what does it say? What does it mean? And then how does it apply to you? How are you to respond to what you just heard? And then you go out and you live that out. We also have other times uh, during the, uh, the week. We have life groups and Bible studies where you can study the apostles' teachings, where you can study the Bible. We have men's Bible studies. We have women's Bible studies. We have mixed Bible studies. We have all of these opportunities for you to come and to hear the apostles' teaching. And here's what I would encourage you. If you're not in a Bible study, check the availabilities and get into a Bible study or start one. You need to be in a corporate Bible study with other believers talking about the things of God. So that is the Apostle's teaching. The next thing that he talks about that we are to be devoted to is we are to be devoted to fellowship. Fellowship. And this is such an important thing. The word fellowship means this. It means to share in, to participate in, or to partner with. To share in, to participate in, or to partner with. It is used, we're going to see this in several places in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. This is one of the passages that I want you to see. The word fellowship. The word that he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. In Philippians 1 verse 3 through 5, he says this, Paul, thanking God for the Philippians, he says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your participation, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word participation or partnership is the same word that is used in Acts 2.42 for fellowship. They partnered 
or they fellowshiped with Paul in the gospel. Fellowship is the spiritual duty of every believer to stimulate other believers around you to holiness and faithfulness. It's most expressly uh, given in the Bible in the one another statements. We talked a little bit about this last week. There are tons of one another statements in the Bible. We are to pray for one another. We are to serve one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to confront sin in one another. We are to give to one another. One another, one another, one another. We are to constantly be looking for how we can serve each other in this church. And implied in that, we said this last week, is that you are actually in relationship with the people in this church. You're actually in communication or communion with them. You're talking with them. You're getting to know them so that you know what their needs are and how you can meet those needs. I just want to say this. This is not the sole duty of the elders, deacons, or ministry leaders in the church. You can't say, well, you get paid to do that. No, we get paid to equip the church for the work of the ministry. The church is to do the work of the ministry. Think about this, right? How many, uh, what percentage of the church gets paid? Probably like 1%, 2%, 5%. Could you imagine if 5% of your body worked every day? That'd be a disaster, right? Let's just say 80% of your body worked. Let's just say those little two things that sit on either side of your body, those kidneys, just said, hey, not going to work today. The results would be disastrous, right? We need the whole body working together. The eyes don't wake up and say, huh, you know, the kidneys are working today. I don't need to work. No, they all work together. The church all needs to be working. Everyone needs to be visiting the sick or the depressed Everyone needs to be caring for the widows or the orphans. Everyone needs to be giving to the needy, serving other people in the church. Everyone needs to confront sin in other people. Is it difficult? Absolutely. But you confront them in love because you want them to be more like Christ. And you say, if they continue in this sin, it's not going to be good. And so you confront them. And it's not just, oh, I'm going to go tell the pastor on you. (laughs) No. It's like, I'm going to confront you right now. You're gossiping. And the Bible says not to gossip. And because I love you and want you to be more like Christ, that's why I'm bringing this up to you right now. We're all to do this. The church is truly healthy when all the members are serving, giving, confronting, bearing each other's burdens. John MacArthur, commenting on the importance of fellowship, said this, quote, according to 1 John 1, 3, those who receive Jesus Christ become partakers with him and with all other believers. That fellowship is permanent. Because our shared eternal life is forever. The joy associated with it, however, may be lost through sinful neglect of its duties. For a Christian to fail to participate in the life of a local church is inexcusable. In fact, those who choose to isolate themselves are disobedient to the direct command of Scripture. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 charges believers to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Bible does not envision the Christian life as one lived apart from other believers. All members of the universal church, the body of Christ, 
are to be actively and intimately involved in the local assembly, end quote. We have to be in each other's business in a good way. We have to know who is happy so that we can rejoice with them. We have to know who is hurting so that we can mourn with them and come alongside of them and encourage them in the things of God. Only when we press into relationships in the church can we know where the triumphs are in the people and where the failures are in the people so that we can properly minister to them. Every year, this church has an influx of students. Influx of students from the various colleges, Galveston College, uh, Texas A&M, UTMB. We have an influx of students. And these students need mentors. Some of them may not realize that they need it. I'm on my own. This is sweet, right? But all of us need mentoring. And I'm asking, are we as the church, are we going to come alongside of them? Are we going to, in, in a sense, adopt them? Are we going to get involved in their lives and say, how are your studies going? How are you doing on campus? Are you sharing your faith? If not, why aren't you sharing your faith? If you are, are you coming into opposition? How are you handling that? How does your worldview affect what you're learning at school? Are you struggling with any sin that's hindering you? Anything that you're hiding that needs to be brought out or it's going to destroy you? How can I come alongside of you and help you to grow? How can I teach you? How can you learn from me? How can I encourage you? We need to be doing that so that they can maximize their personal growth and we can also maximize our corporate spiritual growth as well. There are thousands of souls on this island that don't know Jesus and that will spend an eternity away from him. And we need to partner together in order to reach those people for Jesus. The Holy Spirit, I know, is telling you to get involved. He's telling us all to get involved. And the reason I know that is because it's in the Bible, right? Inspired 2,000 years ago. And the message is the same today. And to not do so is, as MacArthur said, inexcusable. We all need to be involved. I don't care how insignificant you may think you are. I don't have those gifts. No, we all have gifts. And we're to all use them for the church. I am not trying to lay a guilt trip on anyone. Please don't take it as such. I'm just trying to remind you of what really matters in this life. And I'm trying to remind you that we will all stand before God one day and we will give an account of our lives. And he'll say, what did you do with your time? What did you focus in on? What did you spend your money on? What did you do with your mouth, your words? What did you do with your actions? We'll all give an account. And we want to stand before him and say, man, it was tough. It was hard, but I gave my all for you. And I'm here today. And I am ready to be received into your presence. And to hear those wonderful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come, enter into the joy of your master. I know that life was tough. I know you sacrificed so much. Come, rest now. Come, inherit the kingdom which was prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. A kingdom that is not subject to rust or decay or theft or anything like that, but that will last forever. Come, inherit the kingdom. Well, there's much more that could be said, but we're going to move on to the next thing, the breaking of bread. The early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Uh, this actually goes hand in hand with fellowship. And the breaking of bread probably most likely refers to communion. 
the act of communion. We're going to be engaging in that uh, in a few moments. Um, the uh, Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, another word for the Lord's Supper, as I just mentioned, was communion. It is communing. We are communing with each other, and we're communing with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is that vertical and horizontal communion that is going on. And I love to think of this, and we say it every once in a while, but on any given Sunday, there's probably thousands of churches across this country that are participating in the Lord's Supper, and we are communing with them. We don't even know what their names are. We don't even know where they are, but we're all communing together. We're all serving the same Lord Jesus. And I loved it. We were in, uh, um, I remember when we were in uh, uh, Peru several years ago, about 20 years ago, and I don't speak Spanish at all, but we were sitting in this service, and they were doing communion in Spanish, and I'm thinking, every tongue, right? Every nation and tongue is worshiping the same God. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So communion is not an option for believers. It's a command. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It was not a suggestion. It is a command. Furthermore, it is not a ritual that we just do. Oh, it's, you know, uh, this Sunday, therefore, we're doing communion. No, communion has deep spiritual significance and blessings attached to it. It's not just a memorial service. There's something special that goes on. If it was just a memorial service, we wouldn't have those commands, those warnings that if you partake of it in an unworthy manner, it's dangerous. Something is going on during communion as we are being spiritually nourished, as we eat and drink symbolically the body and blood of Jesus. The Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, symbolizes Jesus dying on our behalf. It symbolizes his body being torn for us, his blood being poured out for us. And furthermore, as I mentioned before, the Lord's Supper communion unites us. It unites us. It puts us all on equal footing. When we gather around the table of the Lord, it's as it should be. All walls are broken down. All distinctions are broken down. There is no black, white, Hispanic, Asian we're all one. There is no male or female. There is no uh, educated or uneducated. There's no rich or poor. We're all one in Christ. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The first church, the early church meeting together, you had Jews and Gentiles meeting together, and those groups hated each other. But they're meeting together because they're one now. You had males and females meeting together. You had slaves actually communing with their masters. They were all, all on equal footing at that point. And you had those who worked for the Roman government and those who hated the Roman government all coming around the table, all one in Christ, all walls of division being broken down. Paul talks about this reality in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You can just listen as I read it. Uh, he talks about the unifying reality of the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians ten sixteen. he says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? That word participation is the same word that is used for fellowship in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's the word koinonia, which is fellowship, participation in. According to 1 Corinthians 1, 9, 
we are called into fellowship or partnership with Jesus. And as mentioned before, John in 1 John 1, 3, using that same word fellowship again, says this, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are calling you into fellowship with us and our fellowship is actually with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We're calling you into fellowship. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, come fellowship with us, partner with us, and partner with Jesus. This is also why when we come to the table, we highly discourage anyone who is not a member of the body of Christ, not a member of this church, a member of the body of Christ, anyone who's not a Christian, we highly encourage them not to come. Because what you're doing is you're proclaiming that you have partnership or fellowship with Jesus when in fact you don't have fellowship with him. You don't have partnership with him. You have rejected him. Whether directly saying, no, I don't want to do it, or indirectly, like you just haven't come to him. You're proclaiming something that is not true of yourself. And so we highly discourage anyone uh, to come who does not know Jesus. Finally, the fourth thing that we are to be devoted to is we are to be devoted to prayer. We're to be devoted to prayer. And when we hear this, prayer, we're to be devoted to prayer. Many of us are nodding our heads. Yes, I know that. But the question is, are we devoted to prayer? Are we truly devoted to prayer? And I'm not talking the personal prayer. We should all be devoted to prayer. We, uh, the, the apostle said this in, in 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, pray without ceasing. So we should, our whole lives should be a, a prayer lifted up to God. But this is talking about the corporate prayer. This is talking about coming together with other believers and saying, we need to pray together. I can pray by myself, but the Bible tells us to come together to pray. And so I would encourage you, are we, are we doing this? Are we devoted to prayer? Are we meeting with one another? One commentator said this, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. As Jesus was ready to depart out of this world, he looked at his disciples and they were scared to death. They're thinking, you're our master, you're our teacher, we're lost without you, and now you're saying that you're leaving? What are we going to do? We'll be lost. And he encourages them with these words in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. He says this, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's awesome. We're losing you. And with you, we're losing your power. No, you're not. No, you're not. I will be with you. And whatever you ask, I will do. Whatever you ask in my name. That's the qualifier, right? Whatever you ask for the glory of God, for the good of this island, that I will do. Do we believe in the power of prayer? Think about this. Jesus, the very Son of God, God himself come in the flesh, spent hours in prayer, right? Hours in prayer. If anyone didn't need prayer, it was Jesus. 
But Jesus said, yes, I do need prayer. And Jesus demonstrated that sometimes spending a whole night in prayer, sometimes saying, I really want to sleep, but it's more important that I commune with the Father right now, that I pray to the Father right now, than I get sleep. He set the example for us. And so seeing what Jesus and his apostles prayed for will help us to know what we should pray for. And so I just want to look at a few things here. Uh, and we discover that, man, I'm telling you what, if we were to pray for all of these things, one hour prayer meeting would not cut it, right? We'd be spending the whole night in prayer, the whole day in prayer, because there's so much that we need to pray for. For example, in, in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, we are to pray that God's name would be treated as holy in the world, that God's name would be treated as holy in the things that I think, the words that I say, the actions that I do. That God's name would be treated as holy wherever I go. That his kingdom would come. That his rule would be known on this world. Not the, not the rule of the world. Not the rule of fallen politicians or whatever it may be. But God's rule. We're to pray that his will would be done. Not our, our will. Our will is skewed. Our will is messed up. His will is perfect. We're to pray for our physical and spiritual needs. We're to pray for forgiveness. Oh, Lord, I need forgiveness. I mess up every day. And we're to pray that we would not be led into the place of testing lest we fail, lest we sin against God. That's just one prayer. That's what we're to pray. That's a whole lot of stuff. Moving on into Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, we're to pray that the Father would send more laborers into the field. There's thousands of people around us that don't know Jesus. God, please raise up more people. Please raise up myself and more people to go into my campus, to go into my neighborhood, to go into my place of work and my family, and to share Jesus with them. I got relatives throughout the United States that don't know Jesus. Oh God, please send someone to Dallas to minister to my cousin. Please do that. Raise up someone. We're to pray for this. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. We want more Christians out there actively sharing their faith. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for unity, and we're to pray for unity as well. Paul prayed over and over for unity. We're to pray for unity and no divisions, to love each other. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul prayed that the Philippians' love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that they would approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We, too, are to pray that our love would abound more and more. You're to pray that my love would abound more and more and that I would be able to approve what is excellent. Just quickly, in James 5, we're to pray for the sick. For the sick. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, we're to pray that we would really understand the teachings of the Bible and the implications that they have. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're to pray for government leaders. Boy, we have a lot to do there, right? And then in Ephesians chapter 6, we are to pray for all people at all times in all ways. We, as a church, are to be devoted to prayer. And so what I would do is I would encourage you to be involved in corporate prayer. I would encourage you, grab someone. Say, hey, let's meet together. Let's pray together. Grab one or more people and say, let's commit to praying. Let's commit to praying for uh, our pastor and leaders of the church. Let's commit to praying uh, for the church in general. Uh, commit to, to praying for the community. Let's commit to praying for this election that's coming up, which is so divisive and so hateful. 
And let's pray for all of the messed up things in the world. Let's pray for my neighbors who don't know Christ. Let's pray for your neighbors who don't know Christ. Let's get together and let's pray. And then I would encourage you to get into larger settings as well. When, it, when the church opens up, when we have times of prayer, when we meet together, come to those. Let me give you a couple examples. We have our, our life group that meets on Sunday nights uh, at 6.30 up here at the church. And we are devoted at that time to the apostles' teaching. We open the word of God and we say, what does it say? How does this apply to our lives? What are we to do? And we're devoted to prayer. We pray for one another. What's going on in your life? How can we pray? We are devoted to prayer. There's also a time that we uh, would love to set aside in between services. Right now we don't have a Sunday school class. But we would love for people to gather together during that time and say, hey, you know what? We're going to start worship again at 11 o'clock. And there's probably going to be non-Christians there. God, please open up their hearts. Please save them. There are many times for prayer. And like I said, start a time of prayer. We can work where you can pray for this church and pray for the salvation of the community. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit convicted and challenged you today with the Word of God. Challenged you to examine yourself. It challenged me to examine myself as well to see if we're truly devoted to these things in a corporate way. Being devoted to these things will produce a joy in the Holy Spirit and a power to do beyond what we could even think or imagine. So let's be devoted to these things so that we can glorify God and so that we can bring him to Galveston. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for who you are. I know that, as I said before, Satan is here and he's present with his demons and trying to just change our focus to try to convince us that these things are not important, that prayer does not work, that you don't really need to get involved. There's so many other people who are involved. You don't need to get involved. But I pray that you would shut him down. I pray, God, that uh, those who are currently serving, that you would give them the strength to continue, that they would not be weary in well-doing, but know that a reward is coming. And I pray for those who are currently not serving. I pray, God, that they would see the importance, the need uh, to function in the church as you have equipped them to do. And I pray, God, that they would be involved and that they would love you and love others and that we would all love you and love others in this church, Lord, and that we would serve one another and bear one another's burdens and pray for one another. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.